Greetings, sisters and brothers. A week or so ago, I participated in an online forum titled Rethinking Africa. One of the emphasis was based on the assumption that education empowers without the consideration of the content and process. There was a general agreement that opening the country's borders for free trade would actually boost the development of the African continent. So, when I was asked to suggest action points as a way forward, with passion, I suggested three overlapping, overlapping actions. First, the need to decolonize education in Africa so as to develop curricula that are post-colonial and contextually meaningful to the richness and story of Africa. Second, I argued, was to create an education that builds entrepreneurs and job creators rather than the existing one that creates job seekers when actually the job market is dwindling. Third, I said, was to reconsider the African languages that would unite Africans for a meaningfully successful open border trade experience. Otherwise, I argued with passion, it is a shameful rhetoric to still divide Africa into the colonial 1884 Berlin Conference agenda of the so-called Francophone, Anglophone, and Lusophone Africa when Africans have their own languages. Like a balloon that dangerously flies onto something that deflates it, my energetic passion was immediately deflated by a response by someone who had to bear the burden of distancing the whole conversation from my sentiments that were turning the tables to dare think a global, inclusive, and mutual partnership. At the moment of the response, I learned that actually this conversation was an agenda by the sponsoring partners of Africa. Unlike me, Jesus knew who was behind the tables he was turning. He also knew very experientially well whose agenda was being hijacked by the traders or the den of robbers as the other gospels refer to them. This story of Jesus turning the tables is found in all the four gospels 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke synoptically situate this radical encounter connected to Jesus' last Passover feast, John situates it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Of course, as readers of the Bible, we know that the whole of Jesus' ministry was characterized by turning tables. It is not surprising that probably at the beginning and the end of Jesus' own walking, the true worship of God, this subversive action had to be done at the very center of the established worship, the temple. Jesus shows clear passion to keeping God's temple as a symbol of meaningful relationship of love, justice, and righteousness, and not a melting pot of malice, money, and evil. The religious authorities seem to have turned the Passover feast as a trade opportunity at the expense of those seeking to worship God. According to Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 16, during this feast, every male adult of above 20 years had to pay a temple tax using special half-shekel coins that were used only in the temple. The religious authorities ruled that payment had to be made with the exact amount. Otherwise, those who needed change, including those who used foreign currency, were charged heavily for changing their money to half shekel coins. In addition, the requirement that only animals without blemish were acceptable sacrifice, as indicated in Leviticus 3, in 4, and in chapter 6, was also used to exploit worshipers. The men that were entrusted with the inspection of these animals often had an agreement with the high priestly class not to accept the animals bought from other sources. These preferred animals would cost as much as five times more than the usual market price. So, Rather than providing helpful service to worshipers, these authorities focused on making profit at the expense of these seekers of God. No wonder Jesus had to turn these tables of exploitation upside down. To me, this passage is a calling to us to search within our own temples and around us to courageously see what pollutes our environment, physically, socially, 
and spiritually, allowing the Holy Spirit to fuel the zeal of God in us, we are called to dare and turn the tables of abusive power, however uncomfortable it might feel. Jesus does not challenge the establishment just because he wants to be a rebel, but because the powerful had hijacked God's agenda of love and liberation for all. He knows that God's spirit desires to impact human relations, to be lived in love, in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, humility, and self-control. Sisters and brothers, my mistake in the opening story was that I had not done my homework well. I assumed that this was an African agenda by Africans. Little did I know that actually this whole rethinking process was an agenda of the Western sponsoring partners. A very good and important agenda, but one that continues to allow the powerful sponsoring partners to set the African agenda while avoiding facing the long story of exploitation. This also seems to help them to keep their power and protect their comfort. However, this imposed or imported agenda limits how we imagine the future, undermining the courage to examine the underlying exploitation of race, class, money, and gender. As the followers of Jesus, what does it mean to us to live by our teacher's example? Are we willing to sacrifice our comfort by facing the reality of exploitation that sometimes is well manicured by existing policies and laws? Our faith in Jesus Christ cannot be about protection of our reputation or the reputation of the establishments that we represent. We might be required to take stock of the past errors on which our very comfort is built so that the justice, that justice, righteousness, and development can embrace in a bond of committed transparency, sustainable dialogue, and humble partnership. If COVID-19 has shown us anything at all, it is that while globally everyone suffers, the impact hits harder on those without power. We have learned how we can make a vaccine if we 
how fast we can make the vaccine if we pour all our resources together. Yet, we are still not good at ensuring that access to the vaccine, that there is access to the vaccine for nurses in Marawi, for example, and grandmothers in Bangladesh. What in our spirit needs to be turned upside down so that our worship of God challenges how things work in us and around us. In our world preoccupied with comfort and protection of privilege, turning the tables sound like utter foolishness. Sometimes Christians are called to be disruptive. When we are tempted to embrace the wisdom of this world, it is the grace of God in Jesus that flips us upside down and we land in love. With the adopted Franciscan blessing, may God bless us with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that we may seek and acknowledge truth boldly, even if it is painful, and to love deep within our heart. May God bless us with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless us with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that we may reach out our hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we really can make a difference in this world so that we are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. And may the blessing of God, the Supreme Majesty, our Creator, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word, who is our brother and model, and the Holy Spirit, our advocate and hope, be with us and remain with us this day and forever. Amen.